Okay, good morning. If you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, we're in Acts chapter 2, and the time is 11.30? Is it end time? Okay. Around 11.30. Okay, Uh, what we're going to do is, first we'll bring up our presentation, but we're going to try to cover the, the selected portion for this morning is continuing what we started last week in Acts 1, but now we're in Acts 2. I just want to, uh, well, let's, let's do a quick word of prayer and then we'll make some comments. So, Father, we just ask plainly that you just open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Okay. Um, this is, a, it's a fairly large um, chapter, but given what we covered last week and how um, Jamel set the tone of, of why Acts is important, I want to kind of build on that as well. Um, Acts is, Jamel mentioned, it is, um, it's, it's good to see, remember the Gospels, we see a transition from the Old Testament, and now, you know, some of it still exists, and now God is moving into the New Testament or the New Covenant, it's something new that he's doing in the world. He's not done with what was going on in the Old Testament. Don't think that that, uh, that has happened, like he's discarded Israel. They've just been set aside for right now, right, as a whole. But now he's taking up this thing with the church. And what I like about Acts is, it, it reminds me that, and this is totally coincidental why I picked that thing. I just wanted to pick a new presentation because normally it's just my wife tells me it's always plain. It's just colors. You need to get something that's a little bit more easier to look at. But it reminds me of Legos. And, there, and it just, just literally just happened uh, this week because my son got, my wife bought him a Lego thing. And so we were building it and reminded me of when I was a kid because we, uh, I don't know who got it for us. It was my father, my mother, somebody else. But my dad helped me put this massive pirate ship together. I mean, this thing was, I just remember at the end, it was just so many instructions in building it that my, we ended up gluing it because it kept falling apart. And just to flip back all the pages to see how things were done, it was just very tedious. And, uh, it, it, and so, you know, we were building this thing and literally acts is like that. You know, we, it, it's not like, um, this is the way the church operates, and you need to go through this because you see things in Acts that, you know, you don't see today, right? I mean, you see, you know, snakes reaching out and grabbing the Christians and biting them, and they don't fall over and dead. Now, I'm not saying that we should go out into the woods and try to find a snake and see if it can bite us and see what would happen. Right now, God can, can do that, right? And I believe he does. You know, you see a lot of healing. You see a lot of things that are happening here that in the context makes sense. But now what's going on here, you don't really see it as often, but... What you do see is how the church operated now that Christ has gone. And that's, it's like that instruction manual. Like sometimes in the Legos, they put the pieces, and this is how you do it. And you see it how it's functioning. Now Christ is gone. The Holy Spirit is here, right? And he's, in, he's inside of the, the Christians. And now how do they function in a world that now, right, Christ is gone. They've directed their hatred towards him. And they hated him. Now he's gone. Well, now where are they going next? They're going to his followers, right? And now how do they, um, how do they react in a world like that? And how do they respond? And what do they, they give themselves to? And we see Acts, and especially in Acts chapter 2, it sets the tone. Because this, um, I was trying to think of many ways what we can go. Because this is also the beginning, as it were, the beginning of the church, um, there's a lot of similarities between, especially what happens here in Acts 2 and what happens in the mountain. Remember when, 
when Israel comes out of Egypt and God now brings this people to himself and he essentially establishes the Jewish religion there at Mount Sinai because he gives them the commandments. They enter into a covenant with him. But as Moses is coming down, what happens? They end up transgressing. They, they end up uh, 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 offending God and they made this calf, right? Moses was taking too long and they literally just told God, we'll do whatever you say. And a few days later, they're doing exactly what God told them not to do. And then ends up, you know, the golden calf and the plague and everything else that happens, that 3,000 people die that day. Well, in Acts chapter 2, we have something, not a mountain, but the Holy Spirit coming down. And there's a few people, not a few, there's a lot, but there's a lot of people in this city. And 3,000 people get saved. And so there's a little bit of a, of a similarity in that kind of sense. And I was thinking maybe we go there. But I want to continue what Jamel started and that this is... Uh, uh, just seeing what the Christians did and how they responded. Now that, you know, what was their motivation? Really, I, I think this could be, I mean, I'm sure you can turn to a lot of verses of what, um, you know, how, what, what drove them to keep going. And, 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 and maybe for this verse, in this chapter, there's a lot of verses that you can say is like the theme verse. But I, I think it's this in, in verses, in, um, this is during Peter's sermon. Um, Now I lost it. But um, when we come through reading it, but he says that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and we are all witnesses. We've seen a person come back from the dead and go back to heaven. That's never happened before. And that has been motivating us, right? That our Savior now has gone on. He's died. We saw him. And now he's raised from the dead right something that yeah he did it himself right he raised some people and they were witnesses of it but this person was raised from the dead you know that death could not hold on to him and he's gone on now there's a lot of religions and there's a lot of belief systems out there and what motivates them i don't know maybe it's um a thought of some kind of uh, a paradise that they can go to but to see somebody who you trusted as your savior right you saw him die Right, and then they scattered his followers, but then they come back together, and now it looks like where'd they get this boldness? They saw the risen Christ, right? They saw the risen Messiah, and that's what motivated them to keep going and to suffer things in that world, right, that they were that they lived in for their savior who they you know they could not see at times he did reveal himself, right? Uh to Stephen, Stephen saw him before he died. But they were serving a God who um their Messiah who arose from the dead. And so they went on and pressed on. And so what we're just going to briefly do, I don't know I don't know how much we're going to be able to get to because I'd like to get through the second part, but we're just going to briefly um, as quick and say a few things about the outline of the chapter because I don't want to um, just glance over this. Now, the second part is to, and I'm glad the questions were, were sent out a, um, at least four or five days ago, um, we won't try to mention any of the questions. Now, sometimes that is um, a detriment because you say, well, we never talked about it. But I leave that to you because it is a chapter. And so as we as we go to the question time, uh, our small group, we still have another day, you know, read Acts 2 and go through it. It is about 47 verses. And it is 47 verses. And and just read through it. So all the questions will come there. There is some that you kind of got to think outside 
of, of especially when we're talking about the Messiah and the prophecies of him. But we're going to try to s- not mention as much about those questions because there is a lot in here, and we'll save that for our small group time. And so we're just going to look at a, a brief outline, and then we're going to use that same outline to look at what we can apply to today for us. Oh, too quickly. Oh, I guess I put those together. Okay, so verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And so the first thing that we see that they were doing, remember, um, Pentecost is also the Feast of Weeks, which is a Jewish feast. And you may or may not know that. It's fine. But just for your reference, it's a feast uh, that the Jews were commanded to come together and to celebrate. And so at that time, remember, the Lord was put to death about... You know, it, Pentecost is 50, right? So you can either say 50, 50 days ago, and then now they're together. They're waiting in this place, and they're all together in one place. Remember, um, they were following the Lord, right? This, his early disciples. He was captured. He was warning and warning and warning, listen, I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to be put on trial. And But they still, when that moment happened, what did they do? You think, well... You would say, they identify, look, here, there he is. He's been telling us, but what did they do? They scattered. They said they didn't want any part of this. And they got scared, right? And they went away, and Jesus was put to death. Three days later, he rose again, Mary Magdalene, everybody else that we're seeing. And then for either, it was either 47, or actually, um, he before he left, right, it was a week or seven days, I mean, um, 10 days or seven days before he ended up going away. But in that time, he was appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing, right? Sometimes there was two walking on the road to Emmaus, and the Lord Jesus appeared to him and then went away. Sometimes he was in the middle of them. They were inside of a, 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 of a room locked, right? And then he appeared to them and showed them the marks in his hand. So he was appearing and disappearing for about 40 days, and then he goes off into heaven. What he left them in and what Jamel covered in one, it says, wait until... The Holy Spirit comes. And so they were told by something. They heard the Lord and they obeyed it. They just said, we're waiting. We don't know when it's going to come. But the Lord says to wait and the Holy Spirit's going to come. Okay, the next session, uh, section is they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. A one-time event. And suddenly, verse 2, they came uh, from heaven, a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the uh, entire house where they were sitting. And they div- and divided tongues as of fire appeared uh, to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, and, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation uh, under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude uh, came together, they were bewildered because each one of them were hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, and uh, saying, Are not these all Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, uh, Pygra, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and uh, parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and they were amazed and perplexed and said to one another, What does this mean? Others mocked, 
And they said they were filled with new wine. And so here it comes. Remember, they're waiting. They don't know when it's going to come, but they were told something, and they just did it. And here it comes. And they were in one room. Now, where this was, um, it doesn't exactly say. It says they were in one place. But I, I think when I was re- looking into this, they were all in one place. And it says in one that there were about 120 people. So, I mean, 120 people is a lot. And I don't think in, in, in especially that day, I don't think they were in somebody's house that would fit comfortably that. Not only that, it says that there was a multitude outside, right? Because the Holy Spirit came in and they heard this noise. And whatever that noise was, the mighty rushing wind, it must have been loud enough that the people around heard it and came up. So I tend to think that they were somewhere close to the temple, right? Remember, Pentecost, there's people from all over that were Jews and proselytes that were now converted to Judaism, uh, Judaism, right? They were Gentiles. So they were here for this particular reason. They were gathered for this, this, one, uh, for this feast, Feast of Weeks, and the Holy Spirit comes down. And, he, and this mighty rushing wind, right? And then tongues of fire appear, and they hear this noise. They come running. They, what was that? And then they come and see these people who they all recognize were from one place. You know, maybe they were from, I mean, South Florida is kind of, you couldn't say, oh, they're all from South Florida because there's a lot of languages spoken here, and a lot of people are bilingual. But say they're from some other place and and very remote, and they only speak one language, and that's exactly what they said. They said, no, they're from Galilee. Well, then how is it that we're hearing, look at all these languages and, and areas. I mean, there's several there. How is it that we're hearing that? And on top of it, they're identifying that, these people are talking about the mighty works of God. They understood what they were saying. It's amazing, especially when we think about um, when we think about as we're, you know, being witnesses. This is just a little bit of a side shoot when we're um, speaking about the Lord and 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 we're desiring to be a witness. Right? We understand from other places that the Holy Spirit in from the Lord uh, Lord's mouth that the Holy Spirit is in the world working right and he's convicting the world of sin and so when we're speaking them they're identifying because the Holy Spirit is convicting them that they're sinners and really they're understanding like listen this is a message from God now whether they want to admit it or not and they want to suppress it and this is exactly what they're saying like oh my goodness these people are speaking the mighty works of god they're understanding that what these people are saying it had to come from god and the the proof is is he used a tongue now literally it says that there was a fire tongue it wasn't just talking about that on top of their heads but their language immediately changed they were able to speak another language now i don't know anybody who's able to been able to do that before now there are some like kids, you know, that they're, especially I think about my son, I think his official language is Spanglish because he gets both, but he picks them up so easily and he switches, you know, back and forth. But we're talking about adults that immediately can know and, and fully know that language and they immediately start speaking it. Now, they didn't, it says here that they didn't, um, as, he see, as, as he saw fit to give him, right? The Holy Spirit uh, yes, it says here in verse 4, they spoke other tongues. And this is key because when we come to later about gifts, right, it's not about, well, I really desire that gift because, you know, I think my talents would suit that. No. What does it say? How did they receive that gift? As the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So it came from heaven, right? It was a heavenly gift that they didn't decide on. And God, 
decided to give it as he saw fit, right? God, the Holy Spirit was a disperser of these gifts, and he gave it to them as he saw fit to give to. And so they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. This was a one-time thing, right, this thing that came down. And, and really, it was, I mean, this was, a, this, this was a marvelous thing. I mean, it says here that the, the sound, it was like a mighty rushing wind. Now, I mean, down here, I'm sure a lot of people have experienced hurricanes, but, you know, the fact of, like, maybe I, I kind of think that that's what it was like, like that mighty rushing wind, just that howling. And it must have been something so strange that it drew a whole bunch of people around, right? Remember, in the end, now this is foretelling what happens, but 3,000 people got saved. And so there must have been a large crowd and a large enough where Peter went down to them maybe and gathered them all together to speak to him. Okay. All right, moving right along. Our next session uh, section is Peter's sermon. So now that the, they, they've been waiting, remember the Christian's been waiting, the Holy Spirit comes, they start, start speaking the mighty works of God, the people now are questioning, like, what in the world's going on? You know, they, it ended with, well, they must have been filled with new wine. Whatever they're drinking must have been really good stuff because look what happened is what they're trying. And some of them are, are mocking, right, saying this. Well, Peter now addresses that. And this is a very lengthy passage, but I'd like to read through uh, the chapter. And so that's what we're doing with our outline. So verse 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, all and all of you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since this is only the third hour of the day. The Jewish uh Time, as I think about it, uh, as I, as if I remember correctly, it starts at sunrise, right? So the third hour would have been from sunrise, which I believe, which is six, seven, whatever you want to say, but it was in the morning, what we think about 10, nine o'clock, right? And they're saying, well, you know, it's only the third hour of day. It's a little too early to be drinking, but this is what was uttered through Joel the prophet, that in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male servants and on my female servants, and in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs below, f- uh, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood. And behold... The day shall come in great um, magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested to you by God with mighty works and signs, uh, wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For God says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. But uh, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you have not abandoned my soul to Hades. For you have... Um, for you have let your Holy One 
uh, not uh, to see corruption. You have not your holy one to see corruption, for you have made known to me the path of life, and you will make full the gladness of gladness of your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had swore to him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. For he did not abandon him to Hades, nor did his, he, nor did his flesh see corruption. This is where I was thinking, verse 32, for my key. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses. Being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David has not ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And our last verse for this section, let all, the, let all the house of Israel know that for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so what does he do first? He addresses what they said, they, their accusation. But he says, well, hold on a second, guys. This is actually something different. And he, 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 he looks back to, to, the prophet, uh, to the prophet of Joel, right? And really Israel, you, you kind of think of it like this. Israel was looking for something. Remember, they were given a lot of promises, but they haven't seen it yet because of their disbelief, right? And, and God has set them aside. But they were looking for this time. They were looking for their Messiah, uh, this seed of David, who would sit on their throne and rule over them and really rule over the entire world. So they were looking for this. And that's what he harkens back to. Is that in the last days, he says, listen, in the last days, God will pour. This is what's happening. Exactly what they saw. The spirit came down, right? And the, on his male servants and female servants, right? Both prophesying, serving the Lord. Now, that's where it stops because it says he will show wonders in heaven, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. Now, this is very interesting because he connects these two things. Now, that did not happen yet. Well, it has not happened. It will happen soon. But he's connecting these things that, listen, the end times is now. Now, this was 2,000 years ago. Are we still in the end times? We are, right? God's timetable now has started. He's looking now. This is the end times in God's mind. The Lord Jesus Christ has come, right? All history was looking forward to this. The Messiah has come. He was put to death, and now he's gone back to heaven. Now God's timetable is looking forward to when God's going to make everything right, right? The, everything that's wrong with the world now, God's going to put it back in order. This is the last times. Now, he said this, Joel said this a long time ago, but where Peter's saying this, this was like 2,000 years ago, right? And so God's timetable is still, we're still in the last times. He's looking forward to when, uh, when, he, when things are going to be made right, and we're really... We are too, right? We don't want to stay in a world that's like this with all its problems. We want somebody, and Israel does too, and he's connecting these things. And he says, listen, this is the identification. The Holy Spirit has come down. You hear these people prophesying. And then he turns their attention. Listen, now that I got your attention, Jesus of Nazareth, let's talk about the real subject matter. Let's, let's think back 50 days ago. When you put this person to uh, put, uh, excuse me, put this person to death, but even before that, three years before, when he started, came on the scene, and he was doing all these things, and you had the best health care plan in the entire world, really entire history, right? He was healing people, raising them from the dead, 
um, just touching his garment, you know, diseases that you had for your entire lifetime were gone, and, and meal plans, right? He, gave, <laughs> he, he uh, fed 5,000, right? This man, Jesus, like, you saw these things, the mighty works of God, everything that happened with him, and guess what, where he's leading him? You crucified, you killed. And what he's telling them is, listen, I, mean, I, I got to cut through this. This, this is a very lengthy passage, but there's so much here. What he's telling them, and this is what we're getting to our application to, is that what he's telling them is, listen, you had what you were waiting for in your hands. You had it. You had the Messiah. What did you do with him? You killed him. You set him up. You set up. Not, you didn't have the audacity to do it yourself, right? They didn't have the power. That was also prophesied, right? That they couldn't get rid of him. But they used the government that, that was over them, that had the power of capital punishment, and they set him up to be killed. This person that they are waiting for. And it says here in 36, he ends it with this. He says, let, let it be known to you. Listen. And there was many there, maybe that didn't believe, right, and still would go on to their grave and still wouldn't believe. It says, that doesn't matter. Let all the history know that God, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Right? And that's really what's key. Because listen, public opinion isn't always the right opinion. And where the world is going, right, the masses sometimes are leading towards, and, and you know, you want to follow the crowd, and it feels right because everybody's going to that direction. That doesn't mean it's the right direction. That we need to have... Like, like my little uh, example with the Legos, right? Sometimes the Legos are just all spread out, out. We need to have somewhere where we can go back and see what the instruction manual is. How does it piece back together? We need to have truth is what I'm telling you. We need to have a guide. The, Holy, uh, the Bible gives us that, right? The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to understand. But God is that, that keel line, right, that keeps us steady when we get off course. And sometimes the crowds do go some direction that's not true and we want to be followed in that. It doesn't matter. Listen, what God says is the thing that's going to stand. And it might not be the popular opinion. And that's exactly what was the temperature of that day. The temperature was, right, you had the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders trying to cover up, right? They knew that the body was gone. They were looking for it. And what they did they paid out the guards. They said, listen, just tell them that the disciples stole it. And they said, well, hold on a second. My, my, my job was to keep watch over that body. And now you're going to tell me that I have to admit that I failed in my job. They said, don't worry about it. You know, they said, we'll tell, uh, you know, the acting military governor that this really what happened, right? We'll cover for you. And so they were covering up even the story then because they couldn't find his body. And they were covering up, right? The temperature of that day was that he was, a fo- he was a phony, right? He wasn't who he says he was, but they couldn't cover the evidence that they saw. And what Peter says, he spoke right to their hearts, right? He cut right to them. Now, it wasn't Peter, right, because it was the Holy Spirit. He used just the word of God, and the Holy Spirit cut right through their hearts. And that's exactly what happens today. It happened to me, right? It happened to me. You come to a point where you had so much... You can't take your sin anymore, and you, it, it, it just puts you down face first, and that happens even after as a Christian, right? A rock-bottom experience, but you're so convicted, and the only thing you can do is to turn up and say, God, save me. And that's exactly where he leads them. He's, he's putting them in a corner, and he says, listen, you crucified him. But guess what? God's not finished there. Look what it says here. 
what is the conviction and response of the individuals? They said, listen, 37, this, and they were cut to the heart. That's what it means. They were convicted. And Peter said to them with the rest of the prophets, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, even one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you receive the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for the children and who are far off. And for and everyone whom calls on the, uh, uh, whom the Lord calls our God, calls him to himself. Sorry, I messed that up. Everyone, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40. And there were many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And to those who received his word were baptized. And there were about that day about 3,000 souls added. And so what was their conviction? They were cut, right? There were those who said, listen, oh, my goodness, how can this happen? This person that we were waiting for, that was him, and we knew it all along, and we blew it. But thank the Lord that, well, thank our God, right, that he's not even, you know, you know, sometimes we like to operate like that, you know, um, especially when it comes, at least for me, when I'm in the car, right? I'm in the car. You know, I'm just driving my 35 miles an hour, and then somebody, like, cuts me off. I'm like, ooh, I just hope somebody is up there. I hope there's a cop up there that can really speed trap him and get him right away. Right? We want justice right away. (laughs) No second chances. Right? We want it right now. But then when it's us who's been caught, we're like, oh, please, it's just something. Please, can I get through? You know, we don't want to extend it, but God has given them. Listen, you know, and, and, and he said it earlier in his message that this was the definite plan of God. It, it, they had a hand in it, but it was the definite plan of God. God knew ahead of time this was going to happen. And he, you know, the temperature, everything was there. Rome being over them, the Jews not able to, to uh, establish capital punishment, crucifixion, everything that was happening, God knew exactly what was going on, but yet God allowed it, right? That they had them, they had their Messiah, but they crucified. He says, now what do we do? Repent and be baptized, right? There were two things that they were asked to do and that they would receive the Holy Spirit, right? And they now can be back, right? God can have them now. What was God after? Their hearts. He wasn't after what, what they can do, what they can bring, how they can change their life, right? He wanted their hearts, right? He wanted them to get to where they were crying out to him for salvation. And there were 3,000 added to the church. And then what was the Christian's devotion? Well, they devoted themselves. What did they give their lives to? It says this in 42 and the rest. It says, we'll read it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and breaking of bread, and prayers, and all came upon all souls, and many uh, wonders and signs were being done to the apostles, and all who believed together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing them to proceeds to all that had need, and day by day, attending the temple, and breaking bread in their homes, and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, you say, wow, look at how the church started. Such a great thing. You know, there's just warm sense and, and, and people who are so uh, 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 just, just in awe of their Savior now are selling everything they have and says, listen, well, I see Brother Jamel and, and Sister Jamie over here and they're hurting. Well, I'm going to sell my tablet and give the proceeds to them. And you would think, man. Wow, what, what motivates them now? It might be that love for that person, but what they had, they had their love for their Savior, right, who loved them, and that's what motivates them, right? And you see this faith in action. They Literally right here, it says they sold all that they had. They said, listen, 
We don't need any of this because it's going away anyways. We're looking forward to our Messiah, right? We're looking forward to him completing what he said, right? Making things right later. And so we see this faith and work and what they were devoting themselves to. And there was four things, right? Teaching, the word of God, breaking of bread, what we did this morning, prayers, and uh, what was the other thing? Oh, fellowship. They were giving themselves to that. And so um, we see their faith in action now. In the last five minutes, what we'd like to do is just look how we can apply this now today. And we're going to look at the application. Um, how? And I hope I can go just a little bit over. That's fine. Okay. Um, again, with exactly the same five points is what we're going to do. Is like now, well, what does that mean for me? Now, how can I look at them and what these early Christians in the example, remember, like the building box, the instruction manual, it's not necessarily how I have to do it, but how is it in, in, in work, right? How does it work now that the Lord is gone, the Holy Spirit now is moving in the Christians? Like, how does it look? Well, remember, verse 1, they were waiting on the Lord. Very simple, right? That's us listening and obeying. What can we be doing today? Listening and obeying. Now, listen, they heard the physical voice of the Lord Jesus. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen again, right, that, that God has spoken to people, but... How is it that we, majority, can hear him today? Right here. You have it in your lap. Right? The word of God. He's, everything that God has said, he has said, listen, there's nothing more I need to say. It's right here. And the Holy Spirit is his interpreter of this. He gives you, he understands the mind of God, because he is God, and he interprets it to us right here. How can we find out what God wants to say to us? It's right here. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, even when you, in media, books, whatever, you know, people think that if I need to see God, I need to go to some remote place. I need to go up on top of a mountain. I need to get as high as I can because that's where God is, of course. And I need to go to this place and that's where I need to see him. No, he's not that far. He's right here. He's made. I mean, the Bible's so relatively available right now. Again, we're not just talking about everybody, the Christian now. We're talking about what the Christian can be doing. Oh, that's supposed to be red. Can't really see it that well. Um, but he's listening to what God's saying, and he's obeying. That's exactly what they did, right? They got the command from him, wait, and then just waited, and then the Lord came. Right? The Holy Spirit came, right? He, what he said he was going to do, he did. And so that's what we're doing. We're just listening and obeying. The next step, what is it? Just like that, identifying the Holy Spirit's leading. They Listen, they heard a mighty wish and wind and says, listen, this has to be God. Now you say that's pretty obvious, obviously, because... A hurricane just blew through their house or wherever they were staying, and then these tongues of fire are appearing on their head, and you're saying, well, Brian, I don't see that today, right? How do I understand where the Holy Spirit is leading? Well, listen, this is a very dear point to me. Because, and this is what really gripped me about this chapter. I won't say too much of it because it's one of my questions, and I want it to be explored. You know, the setting of where they were, right? You know, they for the most part, were cowering not many days later. Now the whole, the, their, their Savior is appearing to them, and they gather them, them themselves back together and say, well, hold on, there might be something here. He's raised from the dead. And, you know, everything that's happening, and the Feast of Weeks, and all these people that are around, and then the Holy Spirit comes, you know, made me think, you know, when, when I'm listening and obeying and listening to where uh, the Holy Spirit leading me, you know, I think of the places where I'm walking. Or to think of the places where I'm working. Well, not so much now because of the COVID thing, because I'm all remote. But, you know, in the office, you think, well, you know, why am I in 
this particular memorial health care. Well, I like IT and I like, you know, I need to make money. I got a family su- support. You know, that's a typical answer. I want to think about, uh, uh, beyond that. I want to think that Brian was placed there by the Holy Spirit to be a witness to these people. Because there's people around him, right, that many of you guys won't cross password that are dying and going to hell. And the thing is, really, that's really what happened here. They've been placed there. They were just gathering there because, you know, there was no other place to go. But the Holy Spirit knew exactly what he was doing. And he has placed each one of you in a particular place, right, to be his witness, to witness to those just like they were, right? They were lost and going to a lost eternity. And to think that everything that they've been doing, right, you think, well, yes, you know, I am working and I'm just living my life. No, God has a greater design there. And you think, well, it's just happenstance. It's not like that, right? Understanding and leading where the, I mean, understanding and identifying the Holy Spirit's leading every single day, even as I'm walking out, doing my exercise, whatever it is, some mundane thing. If I'm just in tune with what God is doing and listening and obeying, you'll start hearing it. You'll start seeing it. Souls will come across you. Christians, I'm not just talking about being an evangelist and witnessing, right? Because that's the job that we should do. But, you know, ministering to other Christians, right? Ministering to God, right? And finding out what he's uh, involved in, what he loves, right? You end up doing it to everything else, right? And so identifying the Holy Spirit's leading and just seeing that where he's placed me, right? There's a reason why he's placed me here and I need to see it. Not just go through the motions. Yes, I'm working and, and I got a family to support and those things are all great. I'm not saying you can't discount those things, but it's greater than that where I'm at. It's greater than that what he's doing with you. And naturally, the next thing, uh, what do we do? Well, Peter's sermon, right? When he, when, when he identified, listen, the Holy Spirit's got their attention. What am I going to do? I'm going to speak the gospel to them. And that's exactly what we do. You know, it's, it's not as simple, right? It, it, sometimes it's not speaking. Sometimes it's just living. Sometimes it's just object lesson of your life. Sometimes it's inviting um, somebody over, a family over your house to have dinner, right? Speaking the gospel, under, identifying that the Holy Spirit has, has leading and doing something in the lives around you, right? And you just want to be involved with it. Well, what do we do when we have the chance? We need to point them to Christ, right? Speaking the gospel. And then... What happens then? This is very important. You know, it's not just me getting up and speaking uh, in a public setting and then walking away. What do I do then with there's somebody who's convicted, right? We need to be able to direct them, right? We need to be able to direct the convicted to somebody. Well, we want to direct them to the Lord Jesus, right? And that's, it's not us that's doing the saving, right? It's not us that's convicting them with, with fancy words, right? We don't need to beat ourselves up because we, we think we're not too eloquent, in speaking, and we, you know, we're not too intelligent. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the words to say anyways, but we're directing them to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's able to grab their hearts, right, and change them from the inside and, and uh, give them eternal life. And so finally, what are we devoting ourselves to? This is the other thing that gripped me too. Now, there's a lot of good things, and, and some people have mentioned it today, what, you know, even some Christians have devoted themselves to. There's a lot of good things. Family, we said work, you know, work is a great thing. But we can be so devoted to these things, family, work, whatever, good things, that we can neglect the things that God is looking after, that God is interested in. What does it say those Christians were involved with? Fellowship, right? Finding out what, how I can serve one in another, prayers, 
right? Talking with God jointly, hearing each other's requests, right? And breaking of bread and the apostles' doctrine or the word of God. Now, how, what are we devoting ourselves to? Now, again, you know, we want to feel like we're making a difference. You know, what is it that's motivating us? What, you know, it, what better way to make a difference in this world rather than dedicating our time to some kind of social change or something, but directing a person to the Lord Jesus Christ who can change it from the inside, right? The, the problem with the heart of man is man's heart. So it's not that we can change the outside of what they're doing and try to change and, and, and uh, uh, reform them, right, their actions, right? It only comes from the inside. What are we devoting ourselves to? Sometimes it's great things, right? But the good things that we could devote ourselves to, there's better things. That's, a, that's what I'm looking for. There's better things that we can devote ourselves to, and sometimes the good things end up pushing out the greater things, right? And that's the beauty of the Christian relationship, right? That God doesn't make us robots, right? What he wants is willing servants, right, who love him, that are motivated out of love now to serve him, but devoting ourselves to those same things that those Christians devote themselves, right? And really, what it boils down to is being available, right? There's a lot of things that can grab our attention, you know, work, pleasures, all those things are passing away. You know, what is it, that's, what is, it that is really going to last, right? What we can do, what God has laid out, right, in his church. What is God's organization right now? What is God interested in, right? Seeing souls get saved, right? His church being, uh, um, ministering to one another. But really, as an example, those early Christians, right, they devote themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, prayer, breaking of bread, and fellowship. And so just as an application, those things that we can devote ourselves to, let us, um, well, let me talk to myself first. Let me, right, be devoted to those things and be mindful of them. And so let us close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time. We just thank you for the, this book of Acts. And as we was mentioned last week, it is nice to see what the early Christians did. And sometimes we... We, um, we want to make it difficult, right? And, Father, we just pray that by your spirit that you'd help us um, to do these things, Lord, and that you would make us more sensitive, Lord, and tune our hearts, Lord, to the Holy Spirit's leading. We want to be useful, and we want to be in your service. And so, Father, we just thank you uh, once again for this book, and we just pray um, for the rest of this day that you bless it and bring us home safely. In the Lord's name we do pray. Oh.